parfait. All Irish eyes are on the other game of Group F today. The European champions, Netherlands, take on a relative unknown Egypt. Will they have as much joy as some of the African teams early in the tournament? Well, we'll have to wait and see. But first, we look to Belgium versus South Korea in Group E. Probably not a, a massive amount to talk on this, uh, Turlock, but maybe give us your, your, your best attempt at, at taking us through this one. Uh, yeah, it was, I suppose, one of the, one of the on the face of it, one of the slightly less appetising Matchups. The game was played in, in Verona. Belgium had actually been really impressive in qualifying. They qualified ahead of Czechoslovakia um, and had helped squeeze out Portugal. Um, Mark van der, van der Linden had been, or van der Lecht had been the top scorer in European qualifying. Um, he got seven goals, although those seven goals were in three games. A bit like, a bit like Don Givens in 1976 when he was the top scorer in the in Euro '76, despite only scoring in three games. Um, but Korea had been reasonably impressive themselves, certainly defensively. I don't, I don't think they actually conceded a goal in qualifying, and they topped their final group ahead of the UAE, who also qualified, Qatar, China, Saudi Arabia, and North Korea. Uh, those games weren't played in, in Seoul or Pyongyang. Those games were played on a neutral venue. Um, the only kind of minor item of note uh, that set this game apart was that the Belgian goalkeeper Michel Poudon had applied to FIFA to be allowed to wear special indestructible sunglasses. Not for <laughs> any medical reason, he just wanted to wear sunglasses to keep the sun out of his eyes and he had assured FIFA that he ha had had them extensively tested, they didn't pose a danger to anyone else um, but evidently he didn't get his way because he appears <laughs> on sunglassed in this game. Um, it was a very quiet first half. Nothing really of note happened. Uh, South Korea really a, a counter-attacking side. Belgium didn't give them an opportunity to counter-attack, but didn't particularly um, manage to break through their massed defence in any way. Um, but then shortly after halftime, uh, 53 minutes into the game, Enzo Schiefer, who was, of course, one of the, one of the great Belgian players of, of this or any other era, played a longish ball to De Grisa. And for some absolutely unknown reason, possibly because he wasn't wearing sunglasses, the South Korean goalkeeper <laughs> In Young Choi absolutely sprints miles from his goal um, and gets lobbed on the bounce by De Grisa from about 25 yards. The ball is in the air for so long that you think someone has to get back and clear it, but it bounces high into the net. Once their defences are breached, South Korea kind of submit a little bit tamely. The second goal follows shortly thereafter. It's a, it's a good hit from Michel de Wolf from about 25 yards out, but it does go in high at the, at the near post on the left-hand side. And again, I think goalkeeper slightly culpable there. Belgium very conscious of the fact that goal difference might be a factor, keep pushing, but they can't really force any other significant chances in the game. And it ends up Belgium to South Korea nil. Which is kind of funny. I mean, considering both of their efforts came from about 30 yards outside the box, you think they could fashion a chance from 30 yards as well. 
but they don't manage to, as you point out. Um, I mean, it's taken me a while to compose myself there after the, the sunglasses fact, which is something I'd never heard before and, and something I think should be worked on immediately. I mean, if we're talking about your Valderrama hair, your, your ponytails with Baggio over the years and stuff like that that became famous, I mean, there's no doubt that there's a huge marketing opportunity here for some sunglass providers if they can get the right technology out there. I mean, Edgar Davids is going to be the one that comes to mind with his, but I don't think that was just a look cool. Funny, actually, enough with these two teams, they're probably a pair of golden generations. Uh, and, and it's something I feel like you say a little bit about quite a few teams into this, but Korea in 86 had done themselves relatively proud considering they, they went and pushed Italy all the way in the last group game, 3-2 they lost in that, and they, they largely blamed the referee. You mentioned the goalkeeper as well. I, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying he, he was a backup goalkeeper. I think they may have had an injury beforehand uh, and lost, lost their first choice keeper, which would explain why a pair of 30 yarders seems to be what have undone them in the end. And uh, just one little tidbit as well to give you on, on the manager, Lee Hoyt Take, who, who seems a pretty interesting character by, by all accords. He, he's an all-time South Korean great as a player. Uh, his nickname was the Leopard, for his uh, not for his spottiness, but for his pace and, and stamina. And uh, again, all interviews are in Korean, so I've had to take this one from Wikipedia. The last line of his profile says, However, he regretted his player life, which had been slothful and dishonest. I mean, this Korea team, to be fair, you say anything about them, you, you probably wouldn't say they're slothful and dishonest. Um, but maybe we'll get on to the more important game of the day, which is Netherlands and Egypt. And Dave, I think you're going to take us through this one. Yeah, back in Ireland's group, obviously Ireland and England haven't drawn the previous day. There's an opportunity for maybe one of these teams to steal a march and get to the top of the group. Egypt playing in their second World Cup, qualifying in the in the African Conference. They played six games, scored six goals and topped their group ahead of Liberia. Playoff with Algeria, they edged that one out 1-0 over two legs. The Netherlands had a bit more of an illustrious qualifying campaign. They topped the group containing West Germany, Finland and Wales. More on the West Germany connection later on, but they did top the group. They scored eight goals. And I suppose they went into this tournament expecting maybe that they'd have a good chance of topping this group. They went into that Egypt game and it all seemed to be going well. They took the lead through Vim Keith. Perhaps a little bit unexpectedly, they conceded a penalty, Ronald Koeman, uh, maybe uh, got a little too handsy around the box. Probably the sort of foul that would have resulted in a red card in the 90s and, and 2000s. It was no more than that on this occasion. And uh, the equaliser was scored by Magdi Ghani, who was one of the uh, very few players in, in that Egyptian team who actually played outside of their own country. He played for... Um, Beramar in, in Portugal, so not a you know not, not not one of the big Portuguese teams. And Egypt managed to hang on for for the draw. Two one one draws in that group, uh, setting things up nicely for the second round of games. Did you two feel that it was a, a nailed on penalty from Kuma? Because uh, there's not a, enough angles in the one I saw. And, and Barry Davis, who is on the commentary for the BBC in the clip I looked at, seems I mean he goes like penalty without question against Kuma. And Carlock might have something to say on this, but I think it was. Um, Kuma might have, uh, if he didn't have form, he might have established it anyway. <laughs> but it's just that Barry Davis, I'm far be it for me to, to question El Bazadaza because he's a, a pro, but uh, like on, on a couple of glances, it, it just looks a little soft, especially for that time, especially for the 90s where men were real men and men never fell down. Well, in the words of possibly of, of famous Buddhists, Roberto Baggio, 
karma probably seems to have, have been at work in the sense that if, if Kuman was poorly treated by the fates on that occasion, he got it back against England a few years later when he, he committed a very, very similar foul in, I think, Rotterdam in a, a qualifier for, this, for the 1994 World Cup and got away with it. What does this result mean then for Ireland, gents? Is this, is this something to be celebrated? Because, I mean, we'd have been looking, hopefully, at Egypt being one of the worst teams, but I suppose if we're thinking top spot, it's, it's achievable. I think, generally, the sense was that the more draws, the better, really. Um, I think Ireland were really, really quite outrageously confident of beating Egypt I'm not saying that with any foresight, but simply because Ireland didn't really easily beat anyone. Um, if you look at Char- Ireland's record against minnows and smaller teams under Charlton, there are 1-0, 2-0 games. Um, so the idea that Ireland were just going to turn up at the World Cup and beat what was a very resilient Egyptian team seems misplaced to me. But just to throw another little bit in about Egypt, I think I mentioned in an earlier episode that the absolute chaos that had been caused by their very contentious World Cup playoff against Algeria, that was still lingering to such an extent that the, the African Cup of Nations, which was played just before this World Cup, Egypt sent a youth team because they didn't feel safe sending their, their senior team to Algeria, which is where the, the, the competition was being hosts, hosted. And as a result, Egypt actually lost all three games. Was the youth team more safe? I think the philosophy was, you know, no one would hit a child, um, something along those lines. But Egypt towards... Were these um, like seven or eight year olds? Or? <laughs> but yeah, Egypt, instead the national team just toured Europe, which seems to have stood to them really well. They played a bunch of friendlies in Europe. And yeah, that, that, seems, to have, that seems to have helped develop them as, as a defensive outfit for sure, because that's where their strengths undoubtedly lie. Well, I kind of touched on it there. It seems like... Um their qualifying record, they don't score an awful lot of goals, they don't concede an awful lot of goals. For any Ireland fan, that should look fairly familiar going into this game. I, I don't quite see where the, the confidence will come from. Well, let's let's get across to the Irish fans and to the Irish camp and see how yesterday's gone down and, and maybe how, how this result has gone down. What have, we, what have we heard from the Irish camp about how the celebrations are, are going? It's very, it's very interesting. Um, they, the Irish team immediately after the England game um, left for Sicily for the second game against against Egypt. Um, their flight was delayed by half an hour because it was mobbed by so many Irish fans. There's a slightly euphemistic reference in some of the newspapers to Jack Charlton meeting what's described as the head of one of Palermo's most powerful families when he arrives in Sicily. Um, and it is suggested that that powerful family was a mafia family. Um, and that this was some way of the Irish team paying tribute. And that's not something that's ever come to light in subsequent years, which you would have thought it would have done. I um, thought you were going to say Scalacci's dad or something. <laughs> it seems that the Irish, the Irish team are already, and the Irish fans are already kind of being very well received by the, by the, the locals in Italy, with the single exception that the, the Italians are absolutely baffled as to why Liam Brady isn't in the squad. Um, even though there was no real prospect after 1989 that he, he would be in the squad. He's in Italy commentating for the BBC and apparently he's being mobbed everywhere he goes. It's also notable... We did have a Liam Brady in the squad. We had the, the newer updated model. 
shape of Andy Townsend. It's, it's safe to say that Ireland's draw with England has gone down particularly well or particularly badly in Italy. Um, but a lot of people saw it because it was actually the second um, highest rated in terms of viewership of the Italian 90 games to date in Italy. 20, 24 million had watched Italy beat Austria. But uh, after that, it was the, the England-Ireland game. There were 14.2 million viewers on Italian television, which um, yeah. I can only apologise for at this late <laughs> juncture. I imagine um, from the Irish perspective, I mean, they probably weren't too worried about missing their flight if there's a Harry Ramsons in the airport. <laughs> there was one in Sicily anyway. But let's, let's, I suppose, very briefly touch on any news around the rest of the world. And, and do you know what? The main news of the world that time was... Uh, well, largely the Egypt draw because it makes it into quite a lot of newspaper archives and, and um, any other sort of notable headline archives from that day. I mean, Egypt were, you know, 500 to one shots or something like that while the Netherlands would have been buying there, uh, having been European champions. So news like that manages to get in ahead of something like Mariah Carey releasing her, her debut album on that day, you know? And just 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 on the point of that um, that Egypt Algeria game, it seems the the fallout from that 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 playoff defeat continued as the Isla, the Islamic Salvation Front won control of more than half of the municipalities and thirty two of Algeria's forty eight provinces. Clearly, the uh, the decision to send the youth team had a had a lasting impact. This sounds like a, a job for uh, Olivia Newton John to go in and work her magic. Well, it. back back in, in I don't Ireland. think they're too too big on Bulgarians. You know, <laughs> Back in Ireland, uh, there was a story brewing that would become very familiar to people of a certain age in, in not, not too many years to come. Um, the director, Alan Parker, was in Dublin casting at the Mansion House for what he described as short, fat, bald men over 40 uh, to play the role of Joey the Lipsvagen in The Commitments. Uh. It's a shame as so many of them would have been out of the country probably following the, the national team around Italy, but uh, yeah. <laughs> he shows up in Dublin and finds only beautiful young men. <laughs> well, tomorrow we look ahead to the very last of the first round games, Uruguay versus Spain, and we're into round two as uh, Argentina look to bounce back. They take on the USSR. Your band need a trumpet. You're the same age as me, Dad. You may speak the truth, but I'm 16 years younger than B.B. King. You've heard of B.B. King? I jammed with the man. Didn't give him my best, though, with a bit of a head cold. What's your name, pal? Joseph Fagan. Joey the Lips Fagan. <laughs> and I'm Jimmy the Bollocks Rabbit. What are you doing in Dublin? I'm tired of the road. My mammy isn't very well. Why would you want to join us? The Lord sent me. The Lord blows my trumpet. <laughs> 